Hello and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message titled, Transform Me, was given by Larry Bold and was the conclusion to our series, The Spirit of Truth. So if you haven't already done so, find your sermon outline there in your bulletin. And let's open our Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You'll find that on page uh, 1797 in that book rack Bible, please. So today we finish this little mini-series we've been doing on the works of the Holy Spirit. We call it the Spirit of Truth. Uh, I hope that it's been a series that has encouraged you to get to know the Holy Spirit a little more closely, get to know His personality. And so far we've been looking at a few things that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer that we can trust all the way to the end. Uh, we've learned that we can trust His work in saving us, in teaching us, empowering us, equipping us, and today we come to the last installment in this little series in His work in transforming us. And it's a good place to end this little mini-series because the word transform, literally, the idea is it's, it's ongoing, right? So we don't really end here today. It's just sort of like the, the beginning uh, of a new start for each one of us as we walk with the Lord. So we want to talk about transformation today and His work in transforming our lives. And this is an amazing work of the Holy Spirit. And we get excited around here at Neighborhood Church when we talk about transformation uh, because that word just sets right in the middle of our purpose statement as a church. Our purpose statement is life transformation through following Christ. And we're really big into that because we believe that's biblical. But let me just, again, as a reminder, pick that apart just a little bit to remind us that what we're talking about in transformation is not just a general transformation that happens like behavior modification. We're talking about life transformation through the agency of following Jesus Christ. I mean, if you're interested in life transformation, you can just scroll through late night infomercials and you can get all kinds of ways to transform your life. And that's what the commercial is telling you. You can transform your life. But the message of the Bible is you can't transform your life. Only the Spirit of God can transform your life. And that's a huge distinction, a huge difference. And the reason I say that is a lot of us come, uh, maybe we're not that familiar, we, we're in and out of church, we, we might come to neighborhood church infrequently and, and we kind of get the idea that somehow we get the idea that what this is all about is just tweaking our behavior, getting a little better over in this area of our life. Oh, our marriage needs some help, our family needs some help. Oh, our you know, we got some habits we need to kind of change and the, the whole thing becomes a behavior modification. That's not Bible, that's not gospel. The gospel presents a life transformed through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And we use the verbiage of following Jesus Christ. Because when you follow Christ uh, in faith, that's where the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life. Amen? So are you, are you on the same page with me this morning? That we're not talking about a behavior change. Behaviors change. Amen to that. But we're talking about a life that's being transformed. And by the way, when we talk about transformation, we're not talking about perfection either. Uh, you can look at the person next to you and say, you're not perfect. And you can say that, uh, you can say that to about yourself, too. Go home and look in the mirror. That you're, not, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Your pastor is far from perfect. We are in a process of being transformed in our lives. That's what Romans 12 is about, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. Today, I want to show you three really important aspects of our transformation. Three important aspects of transformation. The first two are going to take the majority of our time. The last one, which was quite emotional in the first service, I'm hoping I can get through it better, whatever the Holy Spirit wants in it, 
The last one will be landing the plane. It's just sort of the summation of all that we're talking about this morning and really what this series has been about. So we want to look at three important aspects of transformation, and we're going to find a lot of it right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles there, uh, what we're going to learn in this first little movement of the sermon is that our transformation by the Spirit is God's plan for every believer. Just say the word God's plan. Would you do that? God's plan. I want you to realize this is God's plan. This is not Larry's idea. This is not a pastor's idea. This is not the movement of men. This is not a desire on the part of a a clever thinker or a philosopher. This is God's plan. God has instituted it. God has directed it. God has put it in place. God desires for us as his beloved, as those who belong to him, to be transformed. This is his desire, his idea. It starts with God and ultimately it ends with God. And that's a beautiful reminder. And here in 2 Corinthians, I want to just pick that theme up. And I'm going to give you a little hint because the context of 2 Corinthians, if I said that right, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the context is Paul's defending his ministry and he's going to make a contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. Now for those of you that are kind of new to the ministry or new to faith, those might be difficult concepts to understand. When we talk about the old covenant, we're talking about God's law as given to his people in the Old Testament under Moses on Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Are you following me? Not, you know, not Charlton Heston. We're talking about, we're talking about the Moses of the Bible who heard from God, who was given the Ten Commandments, the revelation of God's perfect holiness. And from that moment on, the only thing the law really did for us was to show us that we could not measure up. The Old Covenant was a tutor that was meant to be temporary to bring us to the reality of the one who could sustain a life transformed through Jesus Christ. Okay, are you following? So, so the new covenant is life in the spirit. It's not external conformity. It's internal transformity, if I could use those words. And that's the big difference. Old Testament law, New Testament, the grace of our Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. So with that as a little background, let me just walk through this passage and show you the distinguishing marks of the new covenant. And maybe this will be liberating for some of us here. Okay, verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, so we know what that is, right? Ten Commandments, Moses on the Mount. If all that came with glory, and boy, did it. Let's just stop there for a minute. That was glorious. Can you imagine being in that situation? That was glorious. If that came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of his because of its glory fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? By the way, can I point out something? I'm just walking you through this text. That little phrase, the ministry of the Spirit, synonymous, equal to the new covenant. You might want to underline that. The ministry of the Spirit. If the old covenant was glorious, would not, will not the ministry, verse 8, of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. 
We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Now, I don't know, some of you might feel a little bit like, I don't get it. That's a lot to take in, and I would agree. There's a lot there. Let me summarize the distinguishing marks of the new covenant and why we exalt and revel in it. Okay, if you're taking notes, here's the first thing. The ministry of the new covenant, or synonymously, the ministry of the Spirit, is more glorious. We've already seen that in verses 7 through 11. It's more glorious. As glorious as the old covenant was, and it was, it came with glory, it pronounced the glories of God, this, the new covenant, is Far more glorious. Why is it more glorious? Because number one, it sets us free. Verse 17. You see that there in verse 17? Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You see, in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, we tried to conform our lives to rules or laws in order to be righteous. But the freedom comes when God puts his Spirit in our lives and gives us a desire to follow his ways, and he makes us righteous sets us free. Number two, it's more glorious because it's here to stay. It's not fading away. Three times. Look at verse 7b, fading. Verse 11, fading away. Verse 13, fading away. The old covenant was fading away. It was fading away. It was temporary. It was something for a time, but it's past. God moved from that, not because he didn't know what he was doing. He knew what he was doing all along. It was in his plan. The law and the old covenant was given to lead us to see our need for Christ, to lead us to see that we were sinners, we were held in bondage to sin, death, and trying to observe the law by being righteous, but God took all that away when he gave us his son who died for our sins, who rose again from the grave, and then by believing in him, we are given the power of the Holy Spirit who sets us free. So, the ministry of the Spirit is more what? It's more glorious. Very good. Number two, it's not only more glorious, the ministry of the Spirit is for all who belong to Christ. The new covenant is for all who belong to Christ. Now, I'm making that emphasis because Paul does. Verse 12 through 16, he talks about the imagery of when Moses went up on the mountain, and when Moses met with the, met with the Lord on the mountain, he came down and his face was glowing. Remember? We saw that with Charlton Heston in the movie The Ten Commandments. We saw what that looked like. So now we got that down in our minds. We know what that was like. But he goes on to talk about in, uh, in this passage and refle reflecting on Exodus 34 where this comes out of, that when Moses went into the, to the uh, tent of meeting to meet with the Lord, every time he came out, his face was aglow. Every time he met with the Lord in the holy place, his face was glowing. And the Bible says that he put a veil over his face to keep here, Paul commentates, Exodus 34 doesn't say why he did it, but here Paul is assuming, and we're just sort of, we're, we're 
I don't know if we can be dogmatic on this, but it may have been that, that Moses just didn't want people to think because they were so prone to disobedience, he didn't want them to see the glory fading away. So he puts a veil over the, his face so that you know, they would just assume that the glory of the Lord was continually upon them. I think you know, there's about 150 kids that are going to be coming back from camp in about a week or so. And uh, they're going to be coming off the mountain. And there's going to be a lot of glory. But the glory fades. Okay? Are you following me? The glory fades. That means we get into our real life and our real situation and under, watch this, under the old covenant, the fading of the glory was uh, tantamount to God bringing us to where we needed to see our need for him before he could send his son Jesus. So how many years and centuries and generations went by under the fading part of the old covenant but when Christ has come, Galatians 4.4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born of a virgin. So it's in the fullness of time that God does this, and I, I don't know, I get excited about that. But watch this. It wasn't just Moses that had the glory. It was in the old covenant, but Paul's saying now here in 2 Corinthians 3, he's saying, but we with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. So it's not, we're not looking for one person to show us the glory of the Lord. We all reflect the Lord's glory under the new covenant. Isn't that beautiful? We, we are all reflectors of his glory. Unfortunately, we dip back into the feelings of the Old Testament. I want my pastor to show me the glory of the Lord. And just my pastor. That's all. I don't want to experience that glory myself. That's a little too scary or dangerous for me. We just want someone else. No, that's old covenant thinking. We all reflect the Lord's glory as we be behold him in our hearts. So that's the second thing that distinguishes the new covenant. All who belong to Christ reflect the glory of the Lord. Number three, the ministry of the Spirit is an inside-out operation. Remember under the idea of the veil, and Paul talks about this veil here. He actually uses veil in a couple of different ways he then talks about how the veil over the hearts of the Jews who couldn't see Christ. But every time we believe, every time Paul said that a Jew believes in Christ, the veil is taken away. And that's true of any one of us too. When you come to the place in your life where you believe on Christ, God takes the veil away. And it's, it's a miraculous thing because in our minds it feels like we've taken the veil away, but God's the one that removes the veil to cause us to see what we need to see, right? So it's... it's uh, it's a paradox, and yet it's a beautiful thing. And what that leads us to see is this inside-out operation. It's not conforming to outside works, but it's the internal work of the Spirit who's leading us from glory to glory. And then lastly, the ministry of the Spirit is progressively increasing. Progressively increasing. And this is beautiful, too, because I said earlier, in three places, this passage talks about how the old covenant was fading away. And in Christ... It is ever increasing, progressively increasing. So I key in on verse 18 where Paul writes there, he says, being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. Never fading away. Ever increasing glory. I like that, don't you? Now you may not feel that way. I know how some of us right now are a little, we're a little shy to go, amen, because we feel in our hearts, I don't know. I, you know, it feels like transformation's kind of stalled right now, or I don't see things the way they should be the way I'd like them to be. Or I see a big disparity in my life from where I am and where God wants me to be. And we all have that experience. But I'm saying all this to you to remind you that the work of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit is God's plan for you. 
His transforming work is his plan for you. It doesn't start with you. It starts with him. It doesn't even end with you. It ends with him. In fact, if you don't believe me or if you're having trouble believing that, let's look at what uh, Paul says in Philippians 3. We'll read it out loud together. Here we go. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, what Paul's saying there in Philippians, he's saying the work isn't finished. He said earlier in that book, chapter 1, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ. What I'm saying to you is that this transformational work of the Holy Spirit is something that he begins and he finishes. And so don't be discouraged, beloved. Some of us are a little frustrated with our own lives or, hello, maybe somebody around you that you feel ought to be a little more transformed than they are. And you know, be patient because God's working in their lives if they know Christ too. I like what Romans 8, 28, let's read this one out loud together with a little more gusto. Can I ask you to do that? Here we go. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's much better. I like that. The word of God is powerful. Did you read that? Romans 8 says that God is predestining us to be like Jesus. That's a decision the, the heart of the father makes. That starts with the Father. That starts with God. And so that's, I hope, incredibly encouraging for anyone here who might feel a little discouraged today that you don't feel like you ought to be where you are is where you ought to be. God has a plan. He's moving you forward. Uh, In fact, in verse 30 of Romans 8, Paul says, those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Each one of those four verbs, predestined, called, justified and glorified, they're all in the aorist tense, which means the action has already taken place in the mind of God. I love that. When God looks at us as his believers, as those who follow him in belief, in faith, he already has seen the work. He's predestined us, called us, justified us, and glorified us. Now, we're not there yet. Anybody here feel like you've already, you're there. There's no more work to be done in your heart. Anybody? No, no, no one's going to raise their hand on that one because if you did, the person sitting next to you would give you one of those, you're dumb. You know, that's (laughs) ridiculous. We're all in process as followers of Christ, but make sure you get this distinction. If you don't know Christ by faith, if you've never invited him into your heart, receive the gift of life by faith and ask him to come into your heart to live his life through you, that inside-out work. If you haven't done that, The transformation and the process that we're talking about for you is never going to happen until that day when you give your life to Jesus Christ and start there. Not behavior modification. Don't just change your life. Don't just transform your life. That's not what God's inviting you into. He's inviting you into a life transformation by his spirit. It is his plan. Now, okay, that's the first movement of the sermon. And let me just see where we are here. Okay, we got a little bit of time. We're doing all right. This idea of God's part is really important. But there's another aspect to this, another aspect of transformation that we can't ignore. And that is, there's a participation that we have. It includes our participation. Write that down. It should be there in your notes. Our transformation by the Spirit includes our participation. I said it starts with God. It ends with God. But in between, God is inviting us into into the process And that's a beautiful thing. You want to put a big word on that? Put the word sanctification. That's 
That's the word that describes this ongoing transformational process. And go back, if you have your Bibles there, in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's go- glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. That's the process there. That's the ongoing participatory work. Now, how does this look practically? If you have your Bibles and you're in the book of 2 Corinthians, go left and go back to the book of Romans, chapter 12. And let's read the language of transformation in a familiar text and what we saw on that video just a few minutes ago. Romans 12, 1 and 2. By the way, the word therefore in Romans 12 is a hinge word. It, it hinges everything that has come before this part of the book. All the doctrine, all the truth, everything is truth, 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 truth. And then at the end of this, end of this doctrinal treatise of chapters 1 through 11, Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of what God has done, his mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of of worship. Now he's going to break it down even further. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the key to the process. This is our participation, and it's located in those two little words, uh, living sacrifices. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Now we've said this before, we've taught through the book of Romans, we've taught through Romans 12. For those of you that might not be as familiar, let me just give you a little quick shot that might bless your heart. The problem with a living sacrifice is that it's always crawling off the altar. That's right. That's why, that's why we have to look at this from a pr- practical standpoint. We are called living sacrifices. In the Old Testament, sacrifice was sacrifice, put on the altar, it wasn't moving anywhere. It was consumed, it was burned up, it was, the smoke went up into heaven, the the aroma of the burnt sacrifice was the reminder to the people that God was in their midst and he was either forgiving their sins or giving them pardon over some area of their life. It was an amazing experience, No, no, no way around that. But here Paul says, guess what, we're not sacrifices that are dead on the altar, we're living sacrifices, which means every day we have choices, every day we have things that go into our minds, and so Paul says, stop conforming to the world, but be transformed, be ye continually being transformed by the Spirit of the living God, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, this gets even more practical when we look at two aspects of our participation, If you're taking notes, this is where we get down to the nitty-gritty. First of all, our participation with the Spirit means growing in our sensitivity to the Spirit. Our sensitivity to the Spirit. Now, this is simple. If you know your Bibles, you can go to Ephesians quickly, just over a couple chapters to the right of where you were in Romans. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. You come to Ephesians chapter 5, and Paul says there, Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery, verse 18, instead be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, some of us have had the experience of being drunk or watching others get drunk. And when you see that, you know, young people kind of laugh and think it's funny to see people get drunk. And you do stupid things when you're drunk. Sometimes you do deadly things when you're drunk. Um, the point is, you're, you're under a different influence and you're not in control of yourself. And Paul uses that 
beautiful metaphor, this imagery to say, wait a minute, what our lives are to be about as Christ followers, our lives are to be about the, the controlling work of the Spirit in our lives. And so, you know, he's not suggesting that we're drunk on the Spirit, although the image applies. The idea is that we're, that we're under the control of the Spirit, and where he says, be filled with the Spirit. The word fill there, some of us look at, we think of filling like pouring water into a glass. The, the glass is empty, let's fill it with the water. That's okay, but that's not the best imagery from what the Greek word for fill is here. It's not the idea of a portion being increased. The idea is something that needs more control. A better picture would be a hand going into a glove. You fill the glove with your hand, the glove does everything the hand does because the hand is moving the glove. That's the picture of filling that Paul says here. And when you have the filling of the Holy Spirit, you are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. In fact, just go left a couple chapters over to Galatians chapter 5. We're in Ephesians 5. Go to Galatians 5. Here's where it gets down even further into the nitty-gritty of our lives. So I say, Paul writes to the Galatians, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Live by the Spirit. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Remember, freedom comes by life in the Spirit. You're not any longer under trying to keep laws to be righteous. You're free from that mentality. You're now free to do what God's called you to do. And His work begins an inside-out work in your life. So he goes on and talks about the sinful nature being obvious, the acts of the sinful nature, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, all of which should not be a part of the Christian's life, but sometimes even as Christ followers, we dip into the flesh, we dip into the works of the flesh. Paul says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, when a person is controlled by, filled by the Spirit, his life will be manifesting love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against these things, there is no law. There is total freedom in all of that. So, so the nitty-gritty of this is listening to, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is going to nudge us and prompt us and move us in directions. And sometimes it's a gentle nudge. Sometimes it's a whisper. Sometimes it comes like in the form of thinking about somebody that you need to talk to. And I, this happens to me often where I think just someone randomly, boom, comes into my mind. I'm thinking about him. Why am I thinking about him? And then I sense the Holy Spirit. I just, a sense. Maybe this person needs some encouragement. Give him a call. So I'll give him a call. And I don't know how many times when that happens, someone will say, you will not believe the timeliness of this call. Thank you so much. And, and I'm not suggesting that I've got some super tuned, you know, like I just, like if, I'm going to call, like if I call you, don't, wow, what's going on in my life? The pastor just called, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to play this bigger than it is. I'm just saying that the Holy Spirit nudges us, moves us. It might be to do something kind to a neighbor. It might be to move you into a, a conversation with somebody that you were kind of fearful to talk about your life with Christ. Or I don't know what it might be, but he's going to nudge us. He's going to move us. At times, he's not going to nudge us. He's going to push us. Because he loves us that much. Sometimes we don't hear his voice like we ought to hear. And the point is, beloved, in Christ, we need to learn how to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And that's what Ephesians 5 and Galatians 5 and really what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is all about. It's offering our bodies. Every day I get up, I say, Lord, what do you want for my life today? I am an instrument of your 
care today. I'm an instrument of your conviction today. I'm an instrument of your encouragement today. Whatever I can do, Lord, I wanna, I'm, I'm there. I'm in. And then throughout the day, I have to be, remind myself, wait a minute, I said I was in, right? Yeah, I'm in. Okay, I'm, I'm in. Because a lot of times I'm going, I'm not in right now. For the next hour, I'm not in. I'm out. I put the little sign on my heart. I'm out. No. The Holy Spirit's saying, stop that. You need to be under the constant control of the Holy Spirit. And that's where freedom lies in the Christian life. So, you feel like an argument coming on in your life? Are you listening to the Spirit? Oh, maybe I should give a kind word because the proverb says, a kind word turns away wrath. But if I'm in my flesh, well, you say that to me, I'll say this to you. And we're right back at it. Which brings me to the second thing. We've got to kind of move through this. It's not only sensitivity to the Holy Spirit that matters in our participation of, our, of the transformation that God does in our life, but it's also being aware of the sensitivity of the Spirit. I was reminded of this recently in a book I would recommend highly to any of you that are interested in this idea. It's by R.T. Kendall, K-E-N-D-A-L-L, and his book is called The Sensitivity of the Spirit. And the, the thesis of the book is simple. I'll give it to you in a nutshell. The Spirit, as a person, is sensitive to the things that go on in our lives. And just like we as people can be grieved, you know you love somebody and they say something to you that just goes right to your heart. Have you ever had that happen? I have. It just, oh, just grieves your spirit. I thought this person loved me. We've all had those experiences. Or someone does something that grieves our heart that we love so much. This book, the thesis of this book is the Holy Spirit is sensitive. And without knowing it, with very little effort on our part, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can just say or do something that, now watch this, the Holy Spirit never leaves us, but His felt presence. Do you know the difference? I, some of us are too cerebral to understand this, but there have been moments in my life where in the darkest moment, I'm singing a song of praise to God because I feel the anointing, beautiful presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. And that's so precious. Or in a moment when someone has faulted me or sinned against me, I feel the Spirit of God say, patience with this person, for you have sinned against God in the same ways. The beautiful presence and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Some of us today, even through this entire series, we're going, I just don't get it, Larry. I don't get it. I don't feel the Holy Spirit. I don't feel the nudgings of the Spirit. I feel like it's just dark and cold and static in my life. And yet I've trusted in Christ. I read my Bible. I come to church. Are you grieving the Spirit of God in your life? Are you quenching the Spirit of God in your life? Ephesians 4.30 says, be careful not to grieve the Spirit of God. The Bible uses many metaphors to describe the Spirit of God. Uh, the Spirit is meta- uh, metaphor of the Spirit is oil in the Old Testament, fire, powerful images of the, of the Holy Spirit. You know one of the beautiful images of the New Testament in the Holy Spirit is the dove. It's a, a bird, 
a dove. And if you know, I don't know a lot about doves, but in R.T. Kendall's book, he goes to great lengths to describe the difference between doves and pigeons, which are of the same family. They look a little alike, and they sometimes are mistaken, but they're totally different kind of birds. Because pigeons, if you put glue on your body and sprinkled bird seed all over your body, you would have pigeons landing on you and pecking at your skin, even if you were waving your arms, because they're not flappable. They're bold and aggressive in coming and doing what they want to do. But... The Holy Spirit, like a dove, is much different. A little dove perched in a little place outside of our house not too long ago. and You know, it's just kind of neat. In fact, I was walking through our new building the other day, and there was a dove in there, and it flew out. I said, thank you, Lord. That's a beautiful image. I don't know what it does for you, but that spoke to me. But, but this little dove that was perched outside our, our house, you know, if, if we make a lot of clamorous noise, if I go out and start up my motorcycle, that dove is gone. Doves don't like loud, obtrusive, invasive experiences. They're tender and soft, and you can scare them away easy. I love that the Holy Spirit is called a dove because what that tells me is, is that with very little thought of my own, I can grieve the Spirit of God, and He can... I don't mean leave us because He never leaves us. Are you getting the theology? Never leaves us, but his felt presence, that part can be draining in our lives. All right. Well, that's the, that's the big part of the sermon. Let's land the plane. What's the purpose behind this whole thing? We go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and the whole point is so that we might be like Jesus. What's the purpose of the transformation of the Holy Spirit? But to be more like Jesus. Okay, so here's what really hit me over the weekend. And there's a lot going on in my life and our lives and the church and there's, there's a ton. But I was, my wife and I yesterday were just absolutely blessed and rocked in deep, deep ways as we went to a service for Peter and Mona Brana. Mona, if you don't know, has been our interior design person for our building out here. She's worked for over a year with us. And Peter and Mona, last weekend, were flying in their private plane to Colorado, and their plane went down in Utah, and they died. And yesterday was their service. Can you imagine this? A service for two people who simultaneously went in the presence of Jesus. These are two strong Christ followers. And I went out to CPC yesterday, Community Presbyterian Church, where the service was. I don't know how many thousands of people were there. It was unbelievable. We got there, I thought, early enough to get a seat. We ended up being in the overflow area. And we were in a gymnasium with over 1,000 people. Had to have been, maybe more, I don't even know. Watching screens and listening to the most beautiful testimonies of their three children, Matt, Mike, and Kathleen. And then his brothers, Peter's brothers, and Mona's sister-in-law. And people getting up and sharing testimony. And here's what all of it was about. And I've been to tons of funerals, believe me. But every testimony was upward to Christ, upward to Christ. This is the way they live their life. This is the way they live their life. One of Peter and Mona's sons has a little boy himself. And this little boy, three-year-old, was asking his parents, the son of Peter and Mona, where is Peter, where, where is Mama and Papa? And he just didn't know how to answer that question until the little boy said, did they fly into heaven I was 
so moved. This pastor got up at the end and gave a beautiful gospel message that was so incarnated in the lives of people that loved Christ. And I thought to myself, as I'm sure the other thousands of people that were there, what really is our life amounting to anyway? If it's not this, what we're hearing and seeing with the lives of people who have given it for Jesus, not perfect, but living for Jesus Christ, then what really is worth it in our lives? So I'm just, I'm, I'm asking you today, do you know Christ? Do you live for him? Is he your number one in everything? And in the process of that, when we fall down, do we get back up and say, Jesus, all of you, all of you, take control of my life right now. I want to invite you to do just that. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this time today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for examples that we all have in our lives. Some examples that are with us and then are suddenly gone. Thank you, Lord, that even in that terrible tragedy, there are mercies overflowing. And I know, Lord Jesus, that many people yesterday, hearing the story, the words spoken of the gospel, came to faith and trust in you. Lord, we don't understand your plan, but we acknowledge it today. And there may be some of us today, Lord, that are going through tough times in our lives. We don't know how you're going to use this. But Lord, I guess it's my prayer and the prayer on behalf of these, my friends, your family, our family, that you would use all of what's going on in our lives for your glory. And today, if you're sitting here in this auditorium and I'm stopping in my prayer, but I want you to stay in prayer for a moment. If you're, if you're sitting here and realizing maybe for the first time you need a relationship with Christ, you're tired of behavior modification, you need to trust in Christ and let the Spirit of the living God come in you and over you and through you to change your life, I want to ask you to pray with me right now this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you in my life. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will come into my life Cleanse me, fill me, control my very being. Help me to walk with you. And if that's you, my friend, if you're praying right now, if you're speaking to the Lord and you're calling to his name for salvation, would you slip up your hand? Anyone in this ground floor area? Yes, right here in the center, I see the hand of that young lady. Is there someone else? Yes, over here. Yes, I see your hand, ma'am. Yes. In fact, you can just look at me if you raise your hand until I can acknowledge that it's you. You can put it down. I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. Anyone else in the balcony area this morning? Anyone there? Just listening and hearing the Spirit of God. This is your moment of transformation. Yes, I see. Nope, not sure if that was a hand or not. God sees the hand. If you're a Christ follower today, wow, you just sense there's, there's territory that the Spirit of God needs to take over in your life. There's doubts, questions, confusions. Would you right here where you sit say, Lord Jesus, let your spirit have his way. Just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. Anybody? Lots of hands. Lord, you see our hearts. You see these hands, but you see our hearts more than anything, Lord. And I just pray, God, your, your will will be done in each person's life. Those that raise their hands saying they want to begin with you today, may they not leave here without trusting that your work has begun. And for those, Lord, that are following you but realize there's some 
maybe sin in our lives, maybe there's doubt, maybe there's grieving or quenching of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, show us, guide us, lead us, fill us anew, we pray today. I'm going to ask you to stand quietly right where you are, please, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.